Hi, hello, welcome to the after party. This episode was filled with grifts, which is my favorite activity. And I would love to know from each of you, which are your favorite street grifts that you have A, participated in, B, ran, or C, observed? I mean, are you a cop? No. I just remembered a really good grift. Sarah, please. Last year, I was at the Bryant Park winter like village in the city. And I say the city because I'm from Long Island. <laughs> oh, no, me too. Yeah. Small park, middle of Manhattan. They have little stalls, like a holiday market. And it's, a, yeah, and it's a, like a, a European holiday market. It was really cute. I was there alone because I was there to go write about the Rockettes, <laughs> who I were seeing later that day. And a woman approached me. And she had, like, the weirdest part was she had another woman, like, following closely behind her, as though she had an apprentice. <laughs> No. Oh, no. (laughs) And the woman said, I'm a psychic. I could sense your energy from across the park. I would like to read your fortune. And I was like, this door is open. Why don't I walk through? (laughs) I said, okay, how much? And she listed off a bunch of things. It was like, I'll read your aura for $30. I'll do this for $20. And then it got down to... I'll read your palm for $15. And I was like, that one, please. Ah, because if you contextualize a wild price with even wilder prices. Well, I just wanted to see what would happen. Fair enough. (laughs) That's $15 well spent. She sat me down at a table and she told me a lot of things that had nothing to do with my life, but I wanted it to keep going. So I just said, yes, uh uh-huh, yes. (laughs) Yeah, yep. And she was like, thank you so much for doing this with me. And the weirdest thing was that the woman behind her never spoke. Oh, no. (laughs) That's my story. That's very good. (laughs) That's a very disconcerting. What are the possible scenarios that this woman is doing behind her? Observing. She's an intern. She is an immersion journalist who is preparing for, or an actor preparing for a role, and she's just shadowing the psychic. Or this is an immersion English language learning program, and that woman only knows Slovenian, so she's really trying to catch up. Could be. I think she soul swapped with you. Oh my god! (laughs) And we are talking to that psychic now. Today. If Sarah is in there, please tell Stella. Please knock against the mic once. Who knows? Did she say anything about your palm that came true? Like Um, in a single thing? Any positive hit? She said that I would be more appreciated at work. And then months and months later, I went from being an intern to being an actual employee. Ah, (laughs) it doesn't happen. That is an uncommon occurrence. That does not happen. Griffs on airplanes are the best type of grift. No. What is You're in a controlled grift? environment where you can't escape. Please tell me why this is a good idea. Because you're pulling one over on the corporation that likes to do the worst things to people. Oh, so like banal corporate exploitation grifts. Yes, that's, okay. that's the one. Like what? Just when you make a deduce about if you can move up in seats because- Oh, the Amanda not... McLaughlin pastime. Exactly. Yeah. yeah you board I'm... last and sit in the open seat, which if it has extra leg room, whoops. Oh, there's extra cocktails in this seat? Oh, I didn't even know. I will take a whiskey ginger. Thank you. I've done it before. <laughs> You're brave. I have. It's a good graph. What's the worst thing that happened? They tell you to move. They're just going to be like, hey, hey, stop that. 
And then you go back to the actual seat you have. Like, oh, how embarrassing. I mixed up 10 and 40. Exactly. <laughs> I'm so dumb. Oh, oh beans. Instead of going back to your seat, you go to the bathroom. So they just think you're like extra dumb. And you're like, is this where I was supposed to go to the... Aww. And they're like, oh, child. And they give you three blankets. Right. And then you go to the captain's cockpit. Don't do that. Like, no, don't do that. Definitely not. No, and no, then no, you no. get to no. ride up front. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm going to make a hard cut. I'm going to make a hard cut. No, I need ready? to know Amanda's grifts. Obviously, I do a lot of airplane grifts. I really do. I really self-upgrade my seat whenever possible. Not into first class because they check your tickets there or business. But like Economy Plus, fuck you. I'm not paying for Economy Plus. I'm going to sit in that seat. I'm six feet tall. Let my knees not get bruised every time I take a, a flight. But I really like the grift where the monks will like give you like a prayer card or a bead or something and then like just give it to you and you're like, oh, thanks. And then you start walking away and they run after you and like yell the price. Every time I see a tourist that happened to them, I'm just like, don't take it. And I feel like I'm, I'm like doing something, you know, very wrong. But indeed, I'm just helping save them from a grift. Same thing with those uh, CDs. People. CDs oh, God. or like that packs of tissues on the subway. Like people do all kinds you of. You took a CD? Stuff. I was like 14. Mistake. Yeah, I, I know. I was like, oh, and they're like donation. I'm like. What? <laughs> I have no money. I'm I feel, I feel then, too dumb for these grifts sometimes. One time I did it and I paid like $20 because I was an idiot. And then I tried to put it in my computer and there was nothing on it. Whoa. Nothing you paid on. $20 so for sad. a blank CDR? Yeah. And then I put a mix on it. <laughs> Yikes. I hope it was a fire mix. It was hot flames. <laughs> Can we have your hard pivot now? Here's my hard pivot. So this conversation went off the rails just like our game of Dungeons and Dragons. Tell us. What was the idea? What was the plan? Yeah, wasn't that a good a hard pivot? That was the best segue. Was it a good segue? Well, honestly, I've been trying to embrace like the randomness of my players for hunting party. Sounds like you're reaching acceptance, which is a good (laughs) phase. Yeah, I feel like I have a different DMing ethos with each arc. I feel like the first ones I was just trying to like get my feet wet. In political party, I was trying to like set some groundwork for the larger story. Uh, In pool party, I was like, let's see what happens. And Bachelorette Party was very much like a a bottle episode. Like, I wanted to see what would happen if I kept you in one space and really have you ping off of other characters. Uh, Spoiler, murder. Yep, (laughs) bad things happened. With Labor Party, it it felt more like a campaign, like video campaign, a little more on the rails. There's no problem with putting things on the rails, honestly. But I'm really trying to, like, embrace whatever ridiculousness my players get into. And I prepped more for this session than I think I've prepped in a very, very long time. I had like four pages of notes. I gotta say, the plan, wheeling Tracy through the loading dock was pretty inspired. It was so brilliant. (laughs) What the listening audience didn't see, and I don't know if anyone noticed, it was during an exposition part, or I think maybe you were having a conversation with Inara, and I looked up and I just went, (laughs) and that was me formulating the plan. (laughs) (laughs) Make sure to isolate that when you're going through. Just remember that. That's very good. Yeah. I will say that there were two different elevators. There was one that was like on the main floor where Inara was. And there was another like freight elevator, which you guys ended up going to and through the back, which I love. I had to put that together pretty quickly. Um, but like, again, who cares? Did you in your head coming into the session have any like thought about like, they might do this or they might do that? What I usually do before a game session, I message everybody and I'm like, hey, what are you guys thinking? So I tried to do as much prep as possible before I asked you. So like I messaged all of you guys, what, like two days ago, but I spent a lot of time working on stuff three, four days ago to see if I like fleshed out my world enough to really stand up to players pushing it in all directions. I still want to rob Electroshack. 
Yeah. So. That's, that's on the table. So I assume you have, like, they want to go to a museum. They have to get into a museum. Like, what was your thought of process of, like, they might do this, like, just break in? Like, yeah, I knew you guys were going to heist. Actually, you know, let me look at my notes, and I will read exactly the contingency plans that I've put down. I did, So for Detective Tracy, I did know that you were going to try to shake down people. So I had a bunch of different lines that I had for other people, but it <laughs> end, I didn't end up using them. One was... I heard from my cousin's friend's girlfriend's boyfriend that his mom was visited by the Midnight Man. Didn't end up <laughs> nice. using that. Good. I also had, so I says to her, I says, what's this shadow doing in your house? <laughs> Didn't end up using that. I did have some ideas of if you were going to go in day or night. So if you were going to scope out the place. So what I assumed was going to happen was either all of you were going to bust in and then it was going to just like heist immediately. I also assumed that one of you was going to go in, case the joint, and then you guys were going to do it the next day. And then we would have had some like blades in the dark flashbacks, which I was going to integrate into... Um, oh, that sounds cool. Sorry. In the gameplay. Oh, but damn, we fucked up. But this combination of <laughs> casing it and then immediately doing it with a very good plan, I did not think that was going to happen. Well, you know, we were smart. We were crafty. We told some lies. I liked the part where we hit a guy on the head. <laughs> <laughs> we? It totally didn't we? work. It was a group plan. <laughs> where did that guy come from? You messed up my perfect loading dock plan. I, I Well, that's what I needed you to roll for what happened. I mean, you were going to go to the dolly. You just rolled a 12. That is, like, not enough to be sneaky about True. it. What was going to happen if he had kept being loud? People were going to show up. We would have, like, and then you guys our way through it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, <laughs> I just... <laughs> This freaking guy. I, when Amanda said, I want to take two of the boxes, something clicked in my head. And I'm like, uh-oh, wait a second. I wanted something as banal as only being able to take one box to like really turn the heist on its head. What was in the other boxes? Heavy stuff. Other heads, duh. It's just all heads? All, all heads. <laughs> all robot heads. Robot heads all the way down. I'm really happy with how that played out, which is why you kind of want a third person to have blood on their hands. Well, I love that the warehouse floor was just like a giant mouse trap and then a vault at the end. And inside the vault were not treasures, but like someone's messy den and workroom. Mm-hmm. That was not expected. And I thought it was a cool image. But like, ugh, Alonzo, man, I'm so, I'm so, I'm so stressed out. I have two questions about uh, this. We, my favorite thing about this is that Finale has no idea who that this is. That was my question. Was very good. That. Very oh good. It seems like you know this guy. It's like, I'm going to stab him with my electric sword. Is that and chill? Brennan and I are like, fine. Just do it quietly. Uh, my second question was going to be, what kind of fast food do we have in our world here? In Whataburger. <laughs> Just the golden arch, just one arch. <laughs> Listen, it's my world, and I'm going to put whatever good regional fast food I want. It's Whataburger and Sonic, and that's it. Ooh, Sonic's good. Raising Cane's? I don't know what that is, so it's oh, not no. in my world. Damn it. Okay. Sarah, what did you think? I kind of threw you into the middle. I know that you listened to Join the Party, mm-hmm. so you, Sarah, have an idea of what's going on. Actually, you haven't even listened to the episode where Alonzo goes Super Saiyan. Right. Yet. So the last episode I listened to was probably toward the end of Labor Party, the one you just- The second to last episode of Labor Party, the one with Zayol's Magical Mystery yes. Tour. Um, oh, so you don't even name for that arc. Bangarang. <laughs> that's the alternate one. It's actually this yellow submarine. I cribbed the whole, <laughs> skin, the whole thing from it. So what did you think about having like a character who has no idea what the larger mechanisms oh God, of the Join the Party it. plot is? <laughs> I love it a lot. 
watching the movie and just like not caring what it's really about. Oh, I loved. <laughs> oh my god, what an inspired freaking move! I like my DM heart grew three sizes. Brandon has Brandon, a heart on. The only time well, you really have to me today, like you're the only time Brandon has contributed to my story instead of taking <laughs> oh! a hard left. Oh, Whoa. fucking rude. Okay, we'll see what happens next game, DM. <laughs> Listen, usually, I mean, Tracy's moves always keep me on my toes, and it always gives me a chance to, like, flex my DM muscle. But, like, you gave me details and ideas that I hadn't thought before mm -hmm. to make my story better and introduce finale to whatever the hell is happening. You're watching artifact footage that no one has seen before, <laughs> and finale's like, the fuck is this shit? These <laughs> boxing fights. I will say Tracy just wanted to watch a movie because he wanted to kill some time. It's the only uh, movie we had. It was not strategic. He just, yeah, it was the only film we had. So <laughs> if we had like, you know, Hercules, the classic Disney film. Yeah. Want to watch that instead. Well, Tracy mm -hmm. puts the Glad and Gladiator. <laughs> I was literally just about to say like a Glad and Gladiator joke. I don't know. We're on the same wavelength. There Eric. we go. <laughs> yeah. So what, I guess, how does Finale feel about what's happening? Deeply confused, but she's still, you know, focused on capturing Midnight Man, mm -hmm. even though it seems like he knows these two. <laughs> she's going to try a little harder to not kill him now. Sure. Which, you know... She has a bad track record, Can't make Emma. any promises. It's true. I did I... say alive for my bounty. Right. I'm just going to try harder now. <laughs> Casey did say that Finale is notorious for <laughs> killing her alive bounties. That's true. I also think it's interesting that you've only heard the edited versions of these episodes and dove yeah. into playing Ooh, them. good point. Yeah. Oh, How wow. Had... In the sessions, you know? How's the experience of being in a session versus listening to the episode shake out for you i mean it's obviously like a lot different i don't know how it... she's like you're not nearly as funny in person as you are Absolutely. you have a lot, of bad, not what I you have a lot of bad jokes and your voice is regular <laughs> also, so you weird sneeze sometimes that's odd yeah that uh, seems fake <laughs> why is Nara so sneezy i don't like these mouth sounds <laughs> oh no <laughs> I figured it would be sort of like this, like a regular episode, but with a lot of like nonsense in between. <laughs> I contributed to the nonsense oh, for like, sure. a lot. I talked about this a few episodes ago when we brought Julia in, but like I think that having this rotating cast of guests, I feel like there's a lot more of like shared nonsense. I think it's fun and challenging in a good way to bring new voices in because we get to like have a different vibe mm -hmm. at every session. So I don't know. It's very interesting. I just kind of noticed that. And maybe it's like Julia and Sarah are people who are very good at threading jokes in this ethos that we have of like making sure our jokes stay in world and like fit. But I, I don't know. That's just like a feeling I've had over the last four episodes. It's a different thing to like bond with a newer friend in a new way than it is to have like, you know, inside jokes to get into the same rhythms with people that you do this thing with all the time. Right. So having someone here and like, I feel like the first laugh is like brighter because we're like, oh, wait, we can do this. Like it's a, a new person in the room and we can still like find our groove together. And every session's different, right? Like every person's different. So that I really do enjoy. It's like figuring out that you can like drive a new car also. Yeah. And you're like, oh shit, this works. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's how I feel every time I drive because I drive like once a year. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
I do have to say, I was really excited. I mean, you three can attest how hype I was. This episode was very action-focused and not character-focused. I feel in Labor Party, I had to, like, build a 3D person for you to bounce off of every single one of the episodes. Like, there was Vince the Lion Guy. There was Teen who wore the hat in the first one of Labor Party. Well, I mean, someone had to entice us to do these things. Right. Which, you know, theoretically, we were going to do it anyway. But if it was dumb, we would have been like, oh, I don't know. Because well, so it was a series of one-shots, yeah, so yeah. each one needed a hook. You, you had to hook us, exactly. But this was kind of nice that it's like it was already propelling forward and I could have maybe these two-dimensional NPCs like Peel and Miss Morgan and like lean into them just for like, you are going to be here for 10 minutes and I'm going to be excited about you for 10 minutes and then we're done. That makes me really happy as a DM because I really loved these two characters who uh, you two interacted with. Yeah. And it was really nice bouncing off of the players in different ways, but for a short amount of time. You are forgetting all of the literal 2D dosants. You know, the. Oh, they're literally two dimensions. Yeah. The, the, they're, not, uh, they're not flat Stanleys. Why are they two dimensional? In my head, they are. Rum, pum, pum, pum. They were very, are they just like, like one dimension short of a pack of crayons or whatever? Uh, exactly. That's what the Got saying it. goes. Yep. Okay. <laughs> I forgot about that. That was fun. I'm glad that that's they exist. terrifying. I, I liked it. them a lot. When you said toy soldiers, I was like so happy. And then Amanda was like, that's really scary. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I don't like animated masses of things. Right. That's, that's kind of creepy to me. <laughs> but true. yes, they are also in a different way adorable. I mean, I would love to like talk to a robot about like Grecian pottery or whatever. Mm. That sounds great. Uh, I have to say, let's get right to it. That end of the episode broke bad in a few different ways. Oh, God. I'm not unhappy with it. Like, however the story comes out, it comes out. I literally thought one of you were going to grab it and run. I was very close to grabbing the battery and running outside. But I knew that the that the trap would activate and Alonzo would just freaking portal in front of me or something. So I wasn't sure what to do. But, like, I just felt such panic to get out of there because the lighting up of the batteries and what Tracy experienced, so Anara doesn't know about it, terrifying. And I just wanted to, like break that circuit, you know? Yeah, totally. We don't know what these batteries are exactly. No. The whole point of our mission is to get Alonzo, not the battery. Right. Right. Sure. I guess like I kind of assume that like keeping the thing away from Alonzo that Alonzo wanted was going to happen naturally. But, we but still I, guess I really thought we were going to catch. <laughs> we still don't know what what's happening to Alonzo, you know what I mean? Yeah, and I was really torn. Like I had some kind of table talk here where I was saying, I don't know if it's better to give Alonzo the thing he wants and to like lead him along with it either home or to somewhere like in a controlled environment or to destroy it like if he wants this thing if he has some narrative in his head about like reuniting powers or like redoing the centering or some like grandiose um, plan I want to avoid that plan going down probably uh, it seems like he's he's trending toward chaos and not toward stability I, I don't want him to determine that I believe that he believes that he's doing something right and I think his dialogue was really interesting in that last scene I went to think about it you know when I listened to the episode because in the moment I was just very swept up but I just ugh, I to like put everything on pause so we can talk for a long time you know I think it's honorable that Tracy and Anara are trying to talk to Alonzo. But, like, I mean, he's in this Super Saiyan mode. I have no better way to describe it, honestly. But it's, like, the Super Saiyan mode where I just don't know if that's ever going to happen unless you... If this podcast so ends with you guys killing Alonzo, I'm not listening anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I have loved him from the beginning. Really? Like, he's such a mess. Yeah. He's so good. <laughs> Fan theory speculation. 
Okay. Oh, please. <laughs> Go this ahead. Ne- this never happens. I Please, hit me. Alonzo's possessed by something, right? Yeah. Like he's possessed by the Council of Bright, or at least under the Council of Bright's control. That's what the bright aura is around him. Oh. You know? Yeah, I think so. Or it's Anima, or there's some other kind of divinity in the way that Zeol tried to influence us to like have a hand in it. But I've got to think that either the force that was like plugged up when they did the centering and like, you know, put all those safeguards in place wants to get back in and through the medallion sort of, you know, Horcrux style, it's like chipping away at that shield through Alonso. I, fan theory speculation, think that there's an actual mechanical door. I think there's a literal door, a Probably. literal magical mechanical door yeah. that needs an energy source. And there's something, obviously something along the lines with the, tr- the stars. But right. maybe the stars like form a force field. And then once that's gone, if you have an energy source, you can open the door. Yeah. Like I have to believe just because that's where the story is and that's where Alonzo was that any kind of physical door or like an artifact or something physically tied to this thing happening in the sky has to be in Fidopolis. And I, I hope that like... We have the kind of poetic justice or something of returning home to make it happen. Yeah. Stop it from happening or yeah. whatever. Ult- ultimately fail. And then the end of the podcast is just us losing. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I, I always thought that that's what was <laughs> going to happen. It's yeah. a metaphor. Originally, we thought that Sarah would be here for two episodes, but I'm glad that we're going to get at least one more yeah. uh, with you. I don't think we know what's going to happen next episode. Besides trying to not get shot by crossbows again. But uh, I guess we'll have to see. It's always crossbows. I hope I don't die. You killed Same. Julia. <laughs> I didn't kill Julia. No, she is dead 100%. She's <laughs> recuperating somewhere. Fan theory, she's dead. Uh, <laughs> lesbians don't die, Brandon. I know that Sarah wants to make sure Oatcake is safe. Finale does not Thank really you. care. Someone else does. Who is that directed to? <laughs> Eric's universe that wants to take my dog away from me. Okay. Well, Sarah, thank you for coming by again. We will see you next time as we pick up this chase. Uh, But in the meantime, we have some listener questions for the hosts. So we will give you box cookies and see you in a few minutes. (gasps) For real? (laughs) Retroactively, we gave you the previous cookies. I already ate the cookies. (laughs) Oh, no, Sarah. Sarah's leaving. She's going to go look for more cookies. Bye, Sarah. Step, step, step. There's more over there. Slam. (laughs) (laughs) Vroom, vroom. Vroom. (laughs) Hey, uh, this is the drive-thru cookie place. Can I get some bunch of cookies? Okay, here's a cookie. And then you're nom, 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 nom. That was a great impression. And then you turn there and then click. uh, I just forgot all songs. (laughs) (laughs) Boy. Uh. Uh, I said they hip. Hop, Brandon, put a radio voice on this. Hip, hip, hop. You know, sound, put like radio crackle. The bang, bang, yeah, boom. I'm up, sure you're, are you putting the radio crackle? Yeah. The it's it's, the it's on there right now. It's going to make it, yeah. <laughs> this one is from also the Discord from Francis. What sort of things did you have to consider before taking on JTP and podcasting full time? Was it something you always foresaw yourself doing once it became sustainable? Oh, man, that is a that's a question and a half. I mean, I changed my career to work in podcasting. I was a high school English teacher for a hot second there. I have a lot of thoughts about how the public school system is failing people, but I felt like I could do more making stories and leaning into it and putting my all into that than being in a classroom. So I've been slowly working my way to doing this professionally. I was working a lot of jobs that were audio adjacent, like kind of sort of about podcasting or kind of sort of about radio, but not really. And only now do I feel like I have full permission to try to work at 
making shows for real. I mean, we made Joy the Party. Me, Brandon, and Fish were all working at the same audio-adjacent job, and we're like, hey, let's make a better Dungeons & Dragons podcast and invite our friend who was been making a podcast for so long in the first place. I mean, we wanted that, and we put in a ton of pre-production, but honestly, there was that drive to make a show that we thought was better than what was out there. So consider, I don't know, but it's a thing that I've wanted for so long. And now finally, as Amanda and I have talked about, I quit my job and we're doing multitude stuff full time, which is dope as hell and I'm happy about. In addition to like freelancing for other stuff and like, but all audio stuff. Oh yeah, multitude shows are not paying the bills for anyone full time. But we find a way to cobble together enough stuff to make it work. I've been making stuff for free online since I was had like my first MacBook in early high school that I got used from someone and used the webcam to start making YouTube videos. It was uh, a lot of trial and error. I made hundreds of videos, hundreds of hours of, of that. And the point being, none of it was for money. I made more than I spent on my camera for the first time, like seven years into my YouTube career. I finally earned enough money that it paid for the camera I bought seven years before. <laughs> shout out to YouTube. Shout out monetization. Great. Thank yeah. you. So none of it paid the bills. And I honestly, like there was a lot of fear in like, I never called myself an artist. I never identified that way. I never thought that I could make a living doing creative stuff. I had to pay my college tuition and pay the rent. So I got a job working in finance because um, that was the only paid internship I could find, you know, midway through college. So point being, I wasn't good enough. I didn't have the opportunity or the skill or the medium to make a living making things. So I accidentally developed this whole skill set of like business stuff where I was working in a bank where I knew literally nothing about finance or money or business software or how to have a business conversation. Like I've never worked in an office bigger than like three people. I had no idea that failure in a way of being unable to make a career in YouTube or find a cool job at a magazine or a publishing house means that I had to, I was forced to develop the skill set instead. But fast forward many years later, you know, that's the stuff that allowed me to say, okay, I'm going to write a business plan and figure out how to make the podcast that I'm making into a business. I'm going to put all the groundwork in to set up bank accounts and accounting spreadsheets and start a Patreon and use the data reporting that we get from that to fix our rewards and to tweak it and try to make a little more money. And basically just did that for, you know, three years where Julia and I have talked about this in my videos as well. You know, we found this medium that neither of us was particularly like in love with and wanted to do from the beginning, but it worked for us. It was easy enough to do. Like it was close enough to our existing skill set that we can make it work. We found great creators. We found a great community. And then we decided to put a lot of energy into it because some amount of it was working. I love what you said about sort of failing up. Like I know that's a loaded term, but in the way I mean it is failing and then turning, having that pressure on yourself to turn whatever you still have into something meaningful to you and also like valuable to others. So like I did the same thing, like I was going for a career in music, whether that be music producer or artist management or whatever it is. And through various avenues, I did every single thing in the industry and I was fine at a lot of it, but like nothing, I couldn't find a crack that I could get into. And it just was demoralizing and depressing. So I took what I salvaged from that music career, which was audio technician, basically, and learn the other things along the way, which was all the business stuff, all the interpersonal stuff, how to produce people, which is a soft skill that people don't think about, and turn that into full-time something that I didn't realize I would fall in love with, but I did, which was podcasting. And the other side of it is I've, as I was coming up, I was lucky, super lucky to be supported by maybe not always my manager, maybe not always my boss, but like always supported by people around me. So whether that was at a bad job 
but was with Eric and Fish. Rather, I was at a great job with great people who I didn't love the job, but they helped me find and connect me to things that I did love because they liked me as a person. That was just majorly instrumental in where I've gotten to and something I try to do to everyone that works for me now and with me, whether that be freelancer in California or, you know, my direct report or whatever it is. Outside of the professional setting, what can I do for these people, like these actual people to help them get where they want to go, whether that be in working with me still or not? Like, what can I do to help them? Yeah. My second manager at the bank where I worked for three years, uh, the first time I met her, she said, so what job do you want after this? And I was like, whoa, lady, just don't fire me now. Like, that's what I'm thinking about. Because, you know, it felt like a major, like I conned my way into some kind of job. And I was like, don't look at me. Like, I'm going to be here forever, right? That's the fiction we all tell ourselves. But she was great and realistic and helped me say, like, okay, you know, like, what do you want to do? What skills do you want to learn? Like, who can I connect you to? Because, you know, I was lucky that she sort of trusted me to do a good job as I was thinking about what came next. I've also been in jobs where that was not true and you had to lie and say that you want to do this forever. Right. Um, but I mean, I think it's also important to say like none of our lives is perfect. You know, all of us would like to have a slightly different job or need fewer hours to do it in or have more resources or an office or more money or take less time to do parts of the job that make us money. But we don't want to do like none of it is done it would be great if I thought that I could finally figure out the recipe to have a thing that works forever, but the industry is going to change. The people you work with are going to move. The thing you're making might go in or out of style. Your interests might change or your time or you might have an illness or like whatever. Lots of stuff might happen. And something that's been really helpful to me is to look at my jobs and my hobbies as just different tools in a toolbox. And I can take my toolbox with me, but the settings might change. So in the bank, it wasn't like, F my life. I'm stuck here. I'm a sellout. I felt that for many years. But then I was able to say, okay, well, weirdly, I'm learning a few things. And how can I spend my free time or talk to people around me or use the resources that my corporate discount gives me to try to pick up a few things that I can take with me to the next job? Yeah. Um, because looking back, it all makes sense. But at the time, it did not feel that way. And when I counsel, you know, people who ask me for career advice, which is a weird thing that happens now to do is to think not what job will I get next that I'll either hate the least or that will, you know, get me closer to some kind of dream job. But what skills do I not have that I could learn that would be complimentary, that would give me more options and that would help. And I think something that people always forget is that host is not the only job in podcasting. Yeah. <laughs> you can also be a producer. You can be an editor. You can be literally a production coordinator. You can be a manager. You can be a you podcast lawyer or a lawyer. You can be an accountant. You can be an ad sales. You can be like it's technology true for, support. Yeah. Operations. Yeah. You can start a network. It's true for every industry, but you don't have to have the literal like, I don't know how to use Pro Tools, so I'm screwed kind of thing. Like. Me neither. Can, exactly. Like also, does. Pro Tools <laughs> sucks. Pro Tools is great. Yo, you buy fuck your Pro Tools. <laughs> Avid, <laughs> buy, fuck us. buying Pro Tools. How's that? Avid, please sponsor me. <laughs> Avid, please make it less like cracking open a safe to use my audio production software, please. Yeah, I think a lot of people forget that the most outwardly facing jobs of an industry are supported by quadruplicate 
people behind the scenes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the things that are listed in job postings on LinkedIn or whatever are not the only avenues into this field. Like there are lots of different narratives where people get to where they are, but that is not an end goal. Like they are, they are always passing through and always about to do something different. I don't know. Maybe it's that I have to get better at accepting the world around me or that that just feels better as an emotion. But it's weird to me that some people view us as like being successful because totally being <laughs> up at two in the morning, like finishing the mix for this show or posting the next episode or like answering emails for people that I don't want to be talking to, but that have the money to pay me. So I have to. That doesn't feel like success all the time. I think it's important to all of us, like Brandon said, to try to be as transparent as we can with what we're doing because parts of it are awesome. Parts of it suck. But if we can use all of this to help the people coming up next to us and behind us make fewer mistakes or make different mistakes, that's better for everybody. Yep. I also wish that we could all make a living doing this weird D&D show that pushes against a lot of the things that, you know, like we don't choose what is easy. We choose what we think is right in creativity and distribution and how we spend our money and how we build our community. And we're always each of us trying to cobble together like satisfaction and our rent and try to just make our lives like full and satisfying. It's hard. I try to think of that when I look at people I admire too and think like, oh, they must have it easy or oh, that must be perfect. Because, you know, regardless of what my life looks like, I still have to live it as me. So yeah. there's, you know. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this after party. Please let us know what you thought of uh, everyone's behavior and our answers to these questions. And of course, your favorite grifts at Join the Party Pod on Twitter, on Instagram. Uh, we have a Facebook group where you can chat with other listeners and share DD memes. And closest to our heart is our patron Discord. You can go to patreon.com slash join the party pod to see Eric's excellent backstories, to join the Discord, to get exclusive merch and actual gifts in the actual mail from our actual home. Not our like personal gifts, but like things from our bookshelves, but things that we buy for you specifically. It's a good time. Other than that, uh, who wants to sign off this episode? Me first. Bye. Me second. Bye. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. I'm last. <laughs>